turn as we think about Genesis 3 and this truth of the gospel that you're not okay. I'm not okay. We're all not okay. We all need something to redeem us and restore us. These are foundational ideas of the gospel. As we work through these seven weeks going up to Easter through this Lenten season, I want to encourage you, if you are a regular here at Christ Church, uh, to make it a practice to be in church each of the next seven weeks. We kind of make it easy on you by having an online version. You can watch uh, online at 9, 30, 11 on Sunday morning or, or recorded uh, later. Um, but number one, I think it's a great practice to be in church and throughout Lent, the seven weeks can set up a, a habit in your lifestyle that I think will really be healthy uh, for you spiritually. But in addition to that, each of the sermons that we'll be preaching on for the next six weeks is not the gospel in itself. It's just like one idea of the gospel. In that sense, each one is a bit of a heresy in itself. Uh, last week we looked at uh, you were created good. That is not the gospel. That's just one part of it. This week we're looking at uh, you're not okay. And again, that's not the gospel. That's just one part of it. So I encourage you to, to stick with us all the way through this series. Um, it will kind of fill out what the essence of the gospel is. Let me ask you a question as we get started. What is essential for life? If you thought about that for a moment, what is essential for life? What, are, what is essential to sustain your life, to maintain your life? What would you say? What would you think is essential for life? How many people would say water's essential for life? Most of us recognize that. How many would say food is essential for life? We can't go weeks and months without food. Of course, Jesus fasted for 40 days. There have been people that have fasted longer than that. But food is essential. Air is essential for life, right? Got to have air. How many people would say something else is essential for life? Like my iPhone. My iPhone is essential. Most of our kids probably would say my iPhone is essential for life. Or Spotify or Netflix during COVID. We kind of felt like some of those things are essential for life. Or for me, I would say, I, don't, I wouldn't say essential, but exercise, being outdoors, skiing in the winter, which this has not been a good year for that, or running is almost essential for life. Or how many would say Starbucks is essential for life? You don't have to admit if you don't want to, but we all have those things which are either the essence of our life or, or that we view as foundational to our life. And the gospel has things that are essential, essential ideas for the gospel. You know, one of the things about life that kind of uh, I've noticed in church is a lot of times we focus on things that aren't the essence. Have you noticed that? It's true in our own lives, even if we joke about uh, Starbucks or joke about the iPhone or joke about skiing. It's the same thing in church. A lot of times we focus on things that aren't essential as if they are essential. We, we focus on peripheral ideas as if they are the essential ideas, peripheral theological ideas. We'll argue about a mode of baptism or about one or two spiritual gifts of tongues or of prophecy, or we'll argue about some uh, peripheral theological idea or some peripheral, peripheral political idea, or, or we'll get wrapped up in a, a current topic uh, of fashion even, or of uh, society. 
And, and, and in many different areas of life, you and I, we will have our passions, you know. I mean, if, if you talk to me offline and you want to discuss politics, I'm eager to discuss politics. I've got strong views on the Washington, D.C. Uh, sports franchises and college basketball is about to start. I'm going to have some strong views on the uh, 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 NCAA tournament that's coming up this weekend is a lot of the uh, college uh, uh, tournaments, uh, and next weekend's the, the tournaments, and then into the NCAA tournament. Uh, we may have strong views on fashion or what kind of cars people should drive or whatever, but oftentimes what happens in church is that we focus our energy on those peripheral ideas and not the core ideas. And so in this series, we're really trying to focus on the essential ideas. I've just come to the, the belief in my own life as a pastor that if we help people connect deeply with Jesus, and if we get people into God's Word, and we help people experience the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, that God can work out the implications and the application of the gospel. That oftentimes, while we may enjoy discussing peripheral ideas, that in the midst of discussing those peripheral ideas, we do people a disservice by not helping them connect with the core ideas of the gospel and with Christ himself. I'm oftentimes shocked by how many people I meet who've been in church for years or decades that don't understand kind of the core foundational ideas of the gospel. And, and so that's what we're talking about as we go through this series. Last week, like I said, we talked about this idea that you were created good. You and everyone you see is created good. Seven times in Genesis 1, which we went through last week, we saw God created some element of creation. God looked at it, and God declared it is good. The seventh time, he looked at all that he created, and he said it is very good. And that is an important, essential idea to the gospel. It's this idea that you and I are created good. Today, we're looking at a, at a more difficult uh, idea, and that is that you and I are not okay. The, the question is, if God created everything good, if, if, if God spoke everything into being and everything that he created was good, why did the world end up as messed up as it is, right? If, if God ordered all of creation, this is what we discussed in my small group this week on Wednesday night, why did 50,000 people die in an earthquake in Turkey? Or why is there a global pandemic that kills a, a million Americans? Or why is there a war in Ukraine? Or why is my family falling apart? Or why, why am I dealing with depression and grief? You know, if everything's created good, why is the world so messed up? And the problem, of course, is from a biblical standpoint, a biblical worldview, is this thing called sin. Sin is, is in the world and we can see it in the creation, the fallenness of creation, like an earthquake. We can see it in global uh, atrocities, like in the Ukraine. We can see it in our neighbors oftentimes, in the way that they act, and things that we read in the news. But we can also see it in ourselves when we look in the mirror, that we're not okay. There's this problem called sin in the world, and that's what we're going to focus on today. We're looking at Genesis chapter 3. We don't have to go too far in the Scripture to find this problem. We looked at Genesis 1 last week. Today we're in Genesis 3, and we're talking about sin. Let me, let me read it for you. Genesis 3, 1 through 7. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, 
from the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the tree, from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig, tree, fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. As I say, last week we talked about this idea that you were created good. In Genesis 1, seven times God looks at his creation and says, it is good. There's actually a second account of creation. If you've read through Genesis, you know this. Genesis 1 has one account of creation. God created each aspect of creation over six days or six periods of time. We talked about that last week and then rest on the seventh day. In Genesis 2, there's a retelling of creation and it's a slightly different account. In Genesis 2, God took dust of the ground and he formed it into a body. And then he breathed his breath, his spirit, into that lifeless body, and the lifeless body came alive. That was Adam, the man. And then God took Adam, and he put Adam in a garden, this beautiful, lush place. It was surrounded by four rivers on every side. There was gold and precious jewels everywhere. There were trees that God planted, fruit trees to eat. And God brought all these animals into the garden, introduced them to Adam, and Adam named the animals. He lived at peace with all of creation, with abundant food. And then God created the woman, and there was a man and a woman, Adam and Eve, together in this perfect union, this perfect relationship. God would walk with them in the cool of the evening. It was, it's a picture of paradise. It's a picture of what life can be. It's a picture of what God created life to be. It's a limitless life. It's a perfect life. Only there was one single limit in that life, and that is that in the middle of this entire garden, there was a tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God said, do not eat of that tree. If you eat of that tree, you will die. To this point, there was no death in the world. There was no sin in the world. There was no corruption in the world. There was, there was no grief in the world. But if you eat of that tree, you'll die. You can eat of all the trees, you, you can enjoy the abundance of creation. This was really the definition of abundant life. They had everything they needed and more, but don't eat of that tree. Of course, from the scripture reading we just read, we find out they eat of the tree, and, and it's natural for us to think, what the heck, you know? Why would you do that? If you had the perfect life, you had the perfect spouse, you had the perfect relationship with God, you had the perfect relationship with all of creation, you were enjoying everything in the most abundance of life, why would you throw it away to try the one fruit you weren't allowed to have? And that's a question that we could ask ourselves. It's a question that we often ask of other people is why? Why would a husband and wife with a wonderful family on a business trip throw it away over a one-night stand? 
Or why would a college athlete that just won the national championship and is about to get drafted first or second or third in the NFL draft throw it away by driving 100 miles an hour and being part of an accident that kills two people, you know? Well, why, why would uh, uh, an employee with a job they love throw it away to steal a couple bucks out of the cash register? Or why would a business person with a wonderful business and a wonderful income, throw it away to lie on a financial statement to offer someone a bribe. It doesn't make any sense, but this is why. It's this word sin. You're not okay. I'm not okay. The world's not okay. We don't act rationally. We don't do what's in our best interest. We don't live the way we're created to live. Yes, you and I were created good. Yes, the creation were created good. You go outside on a day like today and you're like, yes, right? This is what it's supposed to be like. It's beautiful. And yet it's broken. It's broken by sin and the effects of sin. And here sin hasn't even really entered the world, but Adam and Eve fall into this sin and all of us are part of this. Isaiah 53, 6 says this, even in the Old Testament, it says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him, on Jesus. All of us like sheep have gone our own way. We've got a great shepherd who loves us, who's directing us, who's guiding us in life, who's offering us the way of life, who's offering us the way to clean water and abundant pasture, but all of us have chosen to go our own way. And of course, Romans 3.23 just sums it all up, saying, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans makes this case in Romans 2 and 3 that it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you have the law or don't have the law, whether you're under the covenant or not under the covenant. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. All of us are in the same boat because all of us sin. And as this scripture says from Genesis 3, and it says throughout scripture, that the wages of sin is death, that if you eat that tree, you will die. And so death came into the world, and all of us are born, as the descendants of Adam and Eve, under this sin, under this curse of sin and death, this dual curse that all of us are not okay, and our life is not okay, and our life will ultimately lead to death. Well, like I say, this is not the good news, right? This is one element of the good news. Some of you guys are thinking, I don't know if this was the right week to invite my neighbor to church. I apologize, you know. We're getting there, but this is the bad news. And the bad news is, is the world is not okay. You're not okay. I'm not okay. Well, I want to take some time this morning and just look at this problem of sin and ask, where does it come from? In our own lives, where does it come from? Just looking at Eve and Adam and their sin, saying, why would they do this? What was the root cause of their disobedience to God? And then kind of think through in our own lives and see how this taints our life. So I'm looking at where does sin come from? And there's three elements, three roots, let's say, in this text of where sin comes from. Number one, we do not trust God's word. The first cause of sin that you see in Adam and Eve's life, and I think it's true in our lives as well, is that we do not trust God's word. Genesis 3, 1 through 3 says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, you shall not eat or touch it or you will die. 
We do not trust God's Word. One of the reasons that we fall into sin is that we do not trust God's Word. One of the reasons we do what we shouldn't do is that we do not trust God's Word. One of the reasons that we, 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 we have these indiscretions which lead our life away from God's plan is because we do not trust God's Word. Of course, there's multiple reasons we don't trust God's Word. One is that we tend to always self-justify. We tend to always manipulate God's Word. We tend to always retell God's Word in our minds in a way that feels more comfortable to us. Rather than call it adultery, we call it an affair. Rather than call it greed, we call it just looking out for yourself. Rather than call it covetousness or, or theft, we, we call it uh, uh, just the way business is done. We just, we tend to retell ourselves it's not really sin. And then you can see this in this text, uh, Eve could eat of all of the trees of the abundance, the thousands and tens of thousands of trees in the garden. And in her mind, she thought, what's the difference, you know? Well, what's the big deal? It's just one more tree. The, the serpent says, no, surely you won't die. Come on. It's just, it's not that big of a deal. That's one reason sometimes we don't follow God's word. It leads us into sin. Another reason is just we just simply don't know God's word. I mean, how often do we, are we just not aware of what God wants of our lives, what God is telling us in our lives? Um, so often we're just not aware of what God's word says. We maybe have heard sermons from scripture. We may have heard topics brought up. But we're not aware of what God says about our marriage or what God says about our single life or what God says about the way we handle our finances or what God says about the way we raise our kids or God says about the, the way we, we, we do our business. We, we, we just not, we're not aware that God has a plan for our life. It, you know, at some level, we believe God created us good and has a wonderful plan for our lives, but we're not very aware of what that plan is. And so it's easy to fall into sin. Sin oftentimes is, is described in one of two ways, either as missing the mark, like God has a perfect bullseye for our lives, and we pull back and shoot an arrow at it, and we don't exactly hit it. We fall short. We miss the mark. That's one definition of sin. Another definition of sin is disobeying a known law of God. And, and the point is, is whether it's known or it's not known, we tend to fall short of God's glory because we don't trust God's Word. Sometimes it's because we don't know. Sometimes it's because we know and we just justify ourselves, but we don't trust God's Word. That's what you see here. God said, eat of any of the trees in the garden. Enjoy all of my abundance, but not that one. That one's poison. Just stay away from that one. And Eve and Adam did not trust God's word. There's a second reason that we fall into sin. This is kind of a root of sin, and that is that we do not trust God's intention for our good. We may know God's word. We may understand God's limits in our lives, but we don't trust that God has put that limit there for our good. We think God is trying to keep us from something which is ultimately for our best. Look, look at verse 4 and 5. It says, Now the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. The first reason that we fall into sin is because we don't know God's word. The second reason is because we don't trust that God's 
will, God's intention, is for our best. We may hear instruction from God's Word, like God's Word says, flee immorality. And we think, well, God's just trying to keep me from being happy, you know, right? God's just trying to, God, God doesn't understand what my life is like. He's just trying to keep me from, from living the life that, uh, that, I, that I want, that I need. Well, we, we hear the, the Word say, be sober and of sound judgment. And we think God's just a buzzkill. You know, God, God doesn't understand life. That, that's our, our view of God. Like God, just it, it's comical when you think about it, but just think about this for a moment. The, the God who created all things, who knit us together in our mother's womb, who know us more deeply than, our, than we know ourselves, who created all of creation, doesn't know what's best for us. I know what's best for me. And, and so in the end, I may hear God's word and I may listen to it to some degree, but ultimately I'm in charge of my life. I know what's best for me and I'm going to do it my way because I don't trust that God's way is best for me. Oftentimes, you know, we've been hurt by our parents or we've hurt by other people we've trusted and we have trust issues, but we, we assert those trust issues onto God and we say, God doesn't, God doesn't love me. God doesn't know what's best for me. God doesn't want what's best for me. And so we say, we're going to do it my way. Eve has no reason to question God's love for her, right? God created Adam and Eve, put them in this wonderful garden. God gave them everything. But the, the serpent comes to Eve and says, did God say you can't eat of the fruit of the garden? He's, he's messing with her mind, right? Of course they can eat of the fruit of the garden. That's what it's there for. That, that's, it's to feed them. They eat of it every day. Of course they can eat of it. She says, no, we can eat of it. We just can't eat of the one in the middle of the garden or even touch it, she says. That's not what God said. God didn't say you can't touch it. God said don't eat of the fruit. It's poisonous. She says you can't even touch it. And then, and then the, angel, the, the uh, serpent says, well, why would God say that? Right? He's not going to kill you. That's silly. Look at it. It looks great. It's not, it's not even that much different than any of the other fruit. Why would God, that's so arbitrary. Why would God say you can do that, but you can't do this? That doesn't make any sense. No, that, that's, not, that's not God looking out for you. God's trying to keep you from something. You know what God's trying to keep you from? God's trying to keep you from being like God. You say, if God knows that if you eat that fruit, you're going to become wise. You're going to know good and evil. You're going to become like God. And God doesn't want you to rival him. That, that's what this is about. And, and that, that serpent begins to put in Eve's mind and later in Adam's mind this idea that God's will is not for their good. That God's plan is not their best plan. And God doesn't desire what's best for them. And so, of course, in the end, they eat of the fruit. You and I, I think we do the same thing. We, 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 we sometimes hear God's word. We, we know God's plan. But we think, I know myself better than God knows me. I know what I want better than what God knows what's best for me. And I, I'm, I'm going to do it my way. That's the second reason, root, that we sometimes fall into sin. And then the third root that sometimes we fall into sin, causes us to fall into sin, is that we do not trust that God is enough. Look at verse, verse 6. It says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight 
to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate, and she gave also her husband with her, and he ate. One of the primary reasons, the root reasons that we fall into sin is that we don't trust that God is enough. God created them. God put them in this beautiful garden. God fed them with abundant food. God gave them this perfect unity of this relationship. God gave them peace with all of God's creation. There's no death. There's no grief. There's no mourning. God was there walking with them in the cool of the day. But in the end, that wasn't enough. Eve said, I want to be like God. That's what the serpent offered her. She said, if you eat of it, you're going to become like God. I want to be like God. I want to know good and evil. I want to, I want to have that. I want everything that God's given me. That's not enough. I'm not satisfied with all of God's gifts. It's not enough. There was a dissatisfaction in her, an unholy dissatisfaction in her. And I think if we searched our hearts, we would find that that unholy dissatisfaction is in us as well. Have you ever felt that unholy dissatisfaction? Like everything that God's given me is not enough? My spouse, my kids, my home, my job, it's just never enough. You ever felt that? It's, it's funny how that happens in our life. I don't know if this is just me. I'm going to share it as if it's just me, but it may be true in your life. But how that happens in our life, that we think, God, if you would just allow me to marry this person, you know, I, I'd be happy for the rest of my life. And then you marry this person, and a year or two years down the road, you're like, what? You know, oh my gosh, God, what did you do to me? You know, anybody, you don't have to raise your hand, but... Anybody experience that? And so it's not always just marriage. I mean, don't, don't just pick on marriage. It's, it's going to be a job. You think, God, if I could just become whatever, just help me pass the bar or help me pass this medical exam or help me get this dream job. This is my dream, God. And then we get in it and then we're like, oh, you know, how many more years until I can be done with this, right? Or, or, or we think, God, if you just, if you just, Get me this house. I don't know if I could ever have a house like this. This is my dream house. And as soon as you get in it, you're like, wow, the house next door is even nicer. You know, we it's this holy discontentment with life, this unholy discontentment with life that that whatever we possess in this life, it's never enough. And it's hard to imagine that was true of Adam and Eve, but clearly it was. God had given them everything, a perfect creation, a perfect garden, Abundant food, perfect security, perfect relationships, but it wasn't enough because they never trusted that God and God's gifts are enough. And it's true for us as well. You know, Jesus said, beware and be on your constant guard against every form of greed. For even when one has an abundance, for not even when one has an abundance, does his or her life consist of possessions. That there's never enough until we come to this realization in life that God is enough, that we'll, that we'll never be satisfied in life with, with God's gifts and whatever we have until we say, no, God is enough. This gift of life and what God has given me, that that's enough. Well, the main point of all this is that you're not okay. I'm not okay. Like I say, some of us maybe brought uh, our, our friend or our neighbor with us today. I apologize. You know, let me just say that. Okay, right, right off the bat, um, this is a this is a sermon about sin, and 
this was not a great week to bring your visitor or your friend to church. I apologize for that. Um, it gets better. Next week, we're going to talk about God's solution to this. Because the truth is, is that God created you good and has a wonderful plan for your life. You're not okay, but next week and the week after and the week after we're going to get to this, it's going to be okay. You and I, we may not be okay, but it's going to be okay. Jesus came to make it okay. God has a plan to restore and redeem and recreate this world, and it's going to be okay. And we may not be okay, but it's okay. It's going to be okay. So let me just go through a few implications of this text, and then we're going to share in communion. Number one implication is that we can't fix ourselves. This is really some good news, because some of us are working really hard trying to fix ourselves, and we're getting very frustrated that it's not working. The truth of this idea that you're not okay and I'm not okay, is that we can't fix ourselves. We can't get back in the garden. We can't make ourselves righteous again. We can't justify ourselves. All our attempts to self-justify ourselves will all end in futility. We can't fix ourselves. Of course, try to live the most moral life you can. Try to live the most faithful life you can. Live, live the best life you can. But apart from God's indwelling presence and God's power in our lives, we can't fix ourselves. Number two is that we need help. All of us need help. In the Bible, we call this grace. All of us need God's grace in our lives. We need God's imputed righteousness, that gift of God's grace. We need God's imparted righteousness, that transformation. We can't fix ourselves, and we need grace. And the truth is, is that the big story of Scripture is a story about God's grace redeeming and restoring this world. And then the third implication is, is that we need to die and be reborn. The, the, the message to Adam and Eve is if you eat of that tree, you're going to die. And the hard news of life, the bad news of life, is that you are going to die. I am going to die. We die spiritually as we sin. We will die physically. And without God's grace, we will die eternally. But the good news is, is that death in Jesus's economy of the world leads to a rebirth. That Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That death, and this is the message of Lent, that death leads to a resurrection. Ultimately, that's true in our eternity. That's true in our physical life, that our physical body will die, and God is going to raise it up on the last day. And it's true in our spiritual life as well. That the way to get back to the person that God created us to be it's not to strive and work and try to fix up this life and clean up the outside of this cup. But the way to get back to what God created us to be is to die to ourselves, to carry our cross daily, to follow Christ and allow him to live in us and through us, to birth a new life in us and through us. Second Corinthians five seventeen says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, new things have come. That's the good news. We're not getting to the good news this week, but that's the preview of the good news is that we're not okay, but it's going to be okay because God has made a way, his name is Jesus Christ, for us to be restored and reborn and renewed and to invite us back into this relationship with God and back into this garden. And we're not fully there yet, but God has a way of making it okay. Let's pray together.
Lord God, thank you that when creation and each of us went our own way, you didn't give up on us. We just confess, Lord, that we are not okay. Some of us have particular sins in our mind right now, and we just confess them before you and say, Lord, these are examples. Others of us don't, but we know in our heart that we're not okay. We thank you, Lord, that while we were your enemies, while we were yet sinners, that, Lord Jesus, you died for us, that you loved us that much. And so I pray, Lord, that even as we confess our sins and our need for you, that, Lord, we would know your assurance, your life. We would know that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We would know that you accepted us when we were at our worst and that you will finish the good work you started in us. Lord, we thank you for Jesus and the cross, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit that fills us now. We thank you that even though we're not okay, that you're okay with us. That, Lord, in Jesus Christ, you can make us okay. And that you're going to remake this world and make it okay. And that in, 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 in time, you're going to restore us to a new creation completely and a new garden and we look forward to that. Thank you, Lord, for the grace of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.